filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Exciting news, uh, DC United supporter land. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, and today a brand new independent supporters group uh, has announced its existence and um, has launched. Uh, Rose Room Collective is going to be a supporters group for DC United and Washington Spirit fans of color. It's by people of color for people of color. It's It's pretty cool. And the people running it are some of my favorite people from the DC United internet, uh, Sarah Kalassi, uh, Doug Reyes-Saran, Aaron Bland. Um, and then there's a, there's a fourth one who I haven't interacted at, with as much. And I'm looking her name up now because I should not leave her out of this. Um, her name is, uh, well, Riss explains it all is her, her name on, on Twitter. Um, Rissa. So uh, congrats to the four of them on launching it and and good luck. And I'm thrilled for them and excited for, for what they're going to bring to the DC United supporter community. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, no, go ahead, Ben. It's not, yeah. It, all, it just sounds like a really awesome organization and I'm really excited to see what they do. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I read just a few hours before they announced their thing. I read an article from uh, on an unrelated Rose named site, uh, Rose city review. Um, they cover the thorns and the timbers out in Portland and they've been looking at the supporters community out there. The, uh, one Oh seven is the charity, uh, umbrella that it houses both the riveters and the, uh, timbers army. And they've been having a real problem with, um, representation in on their board, uh, has been largely white to such an extent that, one person said he was going to step down and I'm paraphrasing their article. Um, I'll, I'll make sure to retweet it or just go to Rose city review. It's the top article. It's by Leo Baldwin. Um, I can't remember the title of the article, but it's, it's the thing they published most recently. Um, but they had someone step down from their board and actually ask, he said specifically, please replace me with a person of color because we have too many white people on our board and then they had a round of elections and a white person was elected uh, in that open spot. Um, so this is an existing, and this is, you know, this is Portland we're talking about, one of the supposedly more accepting fan bases for MLS and NWSL. So um, it's a huge problem in American soccer that it's not just a fan problem. Uh, it's a problem on the team side as well. But um yeah, something like this, uh, it feels kind of necessary from the outside, at least. I don't want to center myself in this, but it seems like a thing where kind of has to be this way, Unfor- maybe unfortunately, but also um, I think everyone at Rose Room uh, seems to me like they've got some awesome ideas coming, and I'm really looking forward to what they're going to do, and uh, hopefully people are interested and, and can support them, you know, get after it. It's both the United and the Spirit, so 
that's another cool thing. We don't really have that in this region. We've got supporters groups that support United. Uh, the Spirit Squadron supports the Spirit, but we don't have one that's doing both. So that's also, I mean, the Screaming Eagles kind of do both, but it's sort of quasi unofficial, I feel like. If if someone from the Screaming Eagles hears this and wants to correct me, please get in contact. Uh, we'll we'll like think, to be correct. And I think the District Ultras have done a handful of Spirit games, maybe, or I might be just making that up. Well, there's definitely, you know, there are definitely individual members, but it, from an organizational perspective. Yeah, um, right. There might be subsets is, that show up in enough sure. numbers to. This is, Rose Room is, is making it stated. It's it's upfront. Right. It's very exactly. much like we are doing both of these things. So um, it's really cool to see. Uh, shout out to Aaron Bland, especially for the logo, which was uh, yes. awesome, I thought. Yeah, it's, um, I, I'll talk about the logo in just a second. Um Going back to a point you made, Jason, I know that there are uh, DC United supporters who are not white who have felt out of place in the supporter stand um, at Audi Field. And, and going back to RFK, there have been instances and events and attitudes that have made them feel uncomfortable. So explicitly creating a place for people of color to exist and to be safe and say what they need to say to each other and to advocate for themselves. And it's great. It's, it's exactly what's needed, I think. Um, and that everything about the, this group's identity, I love. Um, Rose Room is an old jazz standard that DC's own Duke Ellington uh, made popular in the 1930s. He wear, he, there's a famous picture of him with a top hat that's referenced in the, the logo as well. Um, it's, it's great. I love it. Um, and the, the song Rose Room is pretty great too. Uh, whether you're a fan of jazz or not, you listen to it and you're going you're gonna to groove. It's good. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United and uh, Yay New Supporters Groups podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where we cover DC United, among other things. Tonight, we are talking all DC United all the time. We've got some news uh, about MLS and DC United to, to get into in this first segment. In the second segment, we will invite our, uh, our good friend, Devin McTavish, color commentator for DC United Broadcasts, onto the show to talk about uh, new head coach, Aaron Losada and... Uh, some other things before we do anything though ben what are you drinking tonight i am drinking mystic mint tea from uh rishi tea which is one of my favorite tea companies um i looked at it online and it had uh, like mint and cardamom in it and i was like oh that sounds good and i didn't read any further and then when i made it i realized it also has licorice in it to provide a little sweetness and so i'm struggling with that part of it but it's still overall a good tea, uh, so I am going to, to finish out the bag of loose leaf tea uh, and not like just put it into a hole somewhere, which is where all licorice should go. <laughs> uh, how, how on a scale of uh, one to Merlin, how mystical is this tea, do you think? Um, I'd say it's like a, a, like, a like a someone who can like levitate one inch off the ground but that's it so so like a, a wizard in a team movie who's just figured out a tiny portion of their powers i i was thinking yeah. more like okay. close-up magic performer 
I wouldn't say that. More that magic human. than yeah. <laughs> no, that's just not the analogy I would use. I don't need. <laughs> I don't need close up. I don't need yeah close up magic in my life. <laughs> Jason, what are you drinking? And how uh, magical is it? It's not very magical. Uh, I have a, a pretty standard gin and tonic. Uh, I had a heavy dinner. I, I bought some ribs, so I, I made some ribs in the oven. Um, and since I am alone, I ate a lot of ribs. Uh, and so I wanted something that was going to cut through that. And you know, a light, bright, refreshing drink will do that. I, it is winter, so gin and tonic's not really a normal thing. But you know, sometimes you ate too many ribs. Yeah, today was pretty nice weather-wise. Yeah, today was today was fine. It's a little We're bit about warmer. to get many many. The rest of the week won't be. Yeah, I'm not happy about it. But if you don't like snow, do. certainly. Uh, but my kids get to go. Maybe, probably not. Maybe, who knows? Weather in DC is but weird. I I think my thing is it's not so much that I don't like snow. It's that I either want us to have a serious winter snowstorm that we don't actually get around here, or I want no winter at all. Uh, but this like half on half off thing I'm not into. I, I got when the last storm came through, I got like half an inch of slush, and it sucked. I it was gross. No, no one wins in that department. We actually were able to go sledding uh, for a little oh. bit with the last one here in in town. So I'm hoping for more of that, or even more than that. Uh, I'm drinking um, Madam from Republic Restoratives. It is a blend of bourbon and rye. Um, that's then I think aged together for a little bit. Um, it's it's very good. It's a, a special release from them, um, and it's a woman owned distillery here in DC, um, and they 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 did well with this one. I'm I'm a big fan. How magical is it? I uh, it's it's pretty magical. Yeah. So I uh, I don't know what scale I would I would put it on. Probably, um, we've established it's one to Merlin. Yeah. One to Merlin. I got to figure out where on that scale it, it is. Um, I'll have to think on that. Ask me again later. If you remember, (laughs) we won't, or hit me up on Twitter. If you're listening, I'm revising, I'm revising my rating to, uh, season three, uh, of Buffy, the vampire slayer Willow. So just, just starting to get magical as it, as opposed to uh, Willow, the star of the 80s movie uh, with Val Kilmer. There was lots of magic in that. Or the Willow in Buffy the Vampire Slayer that, spoiler alerts for a 25-year-old show, uh, ripped someone's skin off. Mm. Willow didn't have that. The movie did not have that. That movie was PG. <laughs> it was well, kind of scary, uh... though. Go ahead, Adam. I won't talk about Willow anymore, I promise. Yes, you will. don't don't make promises you can't keep (laughs) uh mls is back or it will be because there won't be a work stoppage because the league and the players association have agreed to changes to the collective bargaining agreement yes this is still happening well not anymore it's done now we don't have to talk about the cba anymore um we get one more opportunity tonight to complain about the owners and i'm sure we will um but first, the details. Uh, the The CBA has been extended for two additional years through the 2027 season. Uh, if you go way back to last February, the original version of the CBA was supposed to go through 2024. So the owners have now gotten three extra years put on there. Um, 
it does pause most of the the expansions and salary budget that would have happened uh, by a year. They they slide back with a little bit more of an increase each year because the players did manage to get that uh, with bigger jumps in 2026 and 2027, the last two years of it, the jumps are are bigger, but not as big as they would have been had there been a new CBA in those years. Um, but it's bigger than the usual within a CBA annual jump. Um, there's also loosened free agency starting in 2026 uh, players as young as 2020 or as young as 24 with four years of league service, as opposed to 24 with five years of league service will be eligible for MLS's free agency. And they'll be able to sign bigger salary increases with new teams than they are currently. So the players did get something out of it, but they were, they were definitely playing defense on this. As we've talked about uh, the owners taking advantage of their employees not being as well paid as other athletes and being in the middle of a pandemic that the owners are having no trouble surviving um, while making the players play through it and get sick during it to extract more money from, from those players and pay them less over the long term. Um, pretty crappy thing for the owners to do, but we are now past it and uh, we're going to have a season. Yeah, uh, you know, a friend of mine that only follows casually uh, what's going on with MLS asked me to explain what was going on, and I, I tried to explain what was going on. He said, oh, it sounds like America. And I was like, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, uh, the the very wealthy uh, found a way to squeeze the less wealthy to extract something from them, uh, even after having previously extracted something from them not that long ago. Um, right. And ahead, they... they they got the force majeure clause in the middle of the of last year when no one knew anything about when a season was going to go on and it it was supposed to in my, in my mind and in at least the public presentation of it it was supposed to be for uh calamitous incidents like this that are unforeseen they've known since then basically that they were going to have to start a season still in the pandemic they've had months and months and months to prepare this isn't an unforeseen circumstance it's just one they don't particularly like and want to turn the screws on yeah and the point of force majeure is not to be able to renegotiate a contract to make it more favorable to you when conditions are bad for everyone that's not how it's supposed to work force majeure the idea behind it is you are in performance of the contract by one side or the other is impossible because of right these unforeseen acts of God. And so you should be let out of the contract because of that. Not, well, you know, things are going to be kind of bad, but we're going to be fine, but we still get to renegotiate. That's, that's not force majeure. Um, it's not even financial impossibility. It is a get out of jail free card. It is a screw you card. And uh, the players had no leverage back in June when they agreed to it to avoid it because the owners were going to lock them out over force majeure. Um, and the players in the middle of a pandemic, um, were not in a position to, to, to weather that. And they, so they had to eat it. Um, one good thing from this is that I the owners say, though, will not. Con conceding it back in June was a huge concession. Um, yes. and you know, as naive as it sounds, you would hope that that huge concession might then prevent you from being squeezed again. 
uh, just a few months later. Well, no. But instead, uh, it was, in fact, as soon as they possibly could use that to squeeze the players, they did. Yeah. Um, it, it, it ended up being a bigger loss for the players than even recognized at the time back in June. The owners have been playing the long game. Um, yeah. One thing the players got in the the newly agreed version of the CBA is that the owners cannot invoke force majeure during the 2021 season. And if stadiums are open and basically the, from what we've heard from Paul Tenorio, who was on the show a couple of weeks ago uh, and Sam Saskel at the athletic among others, it, what, what they've reported is that it's, it has to do with whether it's reasonably foreseeable that there will be a material impact on attendance from whatever event uh including the pandemic that is ongoing in a in a season so it doesn't have to be unforeseeable it's just each year you get if there's going to be something that dramatically reduces attendance the league can tear up the cba basically Ugh. uh which which sucks super sucks i don't like it but the league will not be able to invoke it again this season if God forbid the pandemic is still going on in 2022. I would fully expect them to rip it up again because that is what they've shown they're willing to do. If not, then the CBA will last through 2027 when I fully expect the players who um, had anything who, who were involved at all and are still around in the league at that point to stand up and, and kind of force the issue in a way that they haven't been able to yet. They have seven years to save up for a strike fund and show the league that they are not going to roll over. And I, I would not be surprised if in seven years, this is a hell of a prediction in a way that I'm not used to making, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we see something, something more of a labor action then. I, I hope they're in a position where they can, if they want to do that, if they, yes. that they can, um, because they're, they're one thing that the owners have on the players is that, Soccer players don't tend to stay in a league uh, for their whole career. Um, so you're going to have a chunk of the player pool that's here now that will be gone by the time that comes up and will, you know, not have that memory of the last time they had to do battle with the owners like this. So um, probably most of them. Right. So I, I hope that there's a institutional memory within the Players Association uh, that goes deep enough and can be sold effectively to the players that are there seven years from now that they can, uh, and over over time, because, you know, obviously that's an internal thing, how much they're putting into that um, strike fund. But hopefully they can get themselves on a footing where the next time, uh, if they need to have that leverage on the owners, they can. Um, but we'll we'll see. It's It's an unfortunate situation that, because MLS salaries are where they are and the owners are as wealthy as they are, that there's always going to be this power imbalance uh, in place that I, I would hope the owners are less abusive of uh, in the years to come, but I'm not filled with optimism because look at their conduct in the last year. Yeah. And I, we know that the players association does have a strike fund. Um, I've heard, heard it said, I, I haven't seen any, hard reporting on this so, it, so you might still call it a rumor um but i but i've seen it speculated that uh they used some of that strike fund to top up player salaries because the players took i've seen anywhere from five to seven and a half percent pay cut for 2020 mm -hmm. and 
some of these players are are living right at their right at the margins basically of their paychecks and so that would have really hurt some of them especially the ones making eighty thousand dollars a year which is not a lot when you have a very short-term career sure so you know think of guys that get traded yeah Um, so maybe you lived in a, a less expensive place to live and then you get traded to dc for example um and, and you, come, you come from Columbus to uh, DC, yeah. uh, like Muhammad at, Abu. Yeah, um, or uh, John Kempen just came to the to the team, for example. Um, that cost of living in Columbus is a whole lot cheaper than the cost of living in and around DC, and your contract might have been just fine out there. But then all of a sudden, through possibly no input of your own, uh, you are now traded to a market where all of a sudden that salary doesn't actually get you very much. Um, and that's something that you, it's not like you said, well, I'll make that move. And, and I understand what I'm getting into. It might just be that the GM called you and said, hey, uh, thanks for your service. Uh, pack your stuff up. We traded you to such and such. Um, so, yeah, this is another angle that is only just occurring to me right now that makes this this whole thing pretty sour. Um, yeah. And I want to be clear, um, as negative as I sound anyway, um, I won't speak for you guys I'll let you agree or disagree. Um, I'm not at all blaming the players for for take deal um, or using the strike fund or or anything at this point. Um, they they they're playing the hand they were dealt, and it was a pretty crappy hand. Um, the owners understood their leverage points and used them to maximum effect. And I, I said at the outset of of all this that I, if the players wanted to hold out and force a lockout, I'd be on their side. If they decided to take the deal in front of them. I would be on their side because they're the ones who have to live with this. They're the ones whose labor make this league. Uh, and and they're the ones who, who have to live with whatever decision is made um, in a much realer way than any fan has to. So uh, I, I have, I, I completely support their decision. I'm glad there's going to be a season. Um, I do not support the owner's decision to, to wring every cent they can out of their workforce instead of treating their workforce humanely and, and with respect. But here we are. Yeah, that about sums it up, man. <laughs> um, going to other news, uh, we we mentioned last week uh, in the after the or during and after our interview with Hernan Losada. And if you have if you haven't listened to that, go back in your podcast feed and listen to our interview with Hernan Losada. I thought it was uh, a really good listen. I thought he had some interesting things to say. Um, but one of the things we talked about was Paul Ariola who is now a Swansea City player on loan from DC United uh, through the rest of the championship season, which could be, will will be sometime in May. Could be early May, could be very late May. We don't know yet. Um, And we won't until at least early May, most likely. Um, He missed almost all of last season, all all for, what, 17 minutes um, in the last game? Yeah. and then he he's come back and in two games back for the U.S. national team, two starts. He scored three goals and had an assist. So he's uh, he seems to be back in a good way, which is good. Um, but he's going to be using his his talent and his surgically repaired ACL uh, to help Spencey win promotion to the Premier League. Um, he could be recalled if certain unnamed conditions are met. Uh, I assume that would be if if he's not playing or if uh, Swansea falls out of the championship race or the promotion race entirely, both of which seem unlikely to me. 
he he could be recalled, but um, he's going to be there. He's going to miss preseason with DC United at the very least. Um, and if he does come back to DC United, there's no sell on or there's no purchase clause in the the loan agreement as of now. As of now, but yeah. it's been mentioned on both sides of the Atlantic that the teams are are planning to revisit that at some time during the the next few months during the loan. So. Yeah. Yeah, and we all we all know, like uh, those of us who've been been around here a while, like teams do this all the time when they loan when they loan players out. Uh, when DC United loaned Andy Nahar to Anderlecht, uh, low these many years ago, they all swore up and down that it was just a loan, that there was nothing happening, it was just for fitness and everything like that. And then, what a month later, two months later, Nahar is signing a permanent contract with. Anderlecht. So just because there's not an official clause doesn't mean that there's not every intention of this being a trial and seeing uh, seeing how he turns out. Yeah, and it's a situation where if he does well at Swansea, they'll want to make that move. Um, obviously, the fact that they came in for both him and Jordan Morris in the same window tells you a lot. Um, and, and, you know, if he does well and Swansea says, well, I don't know if the price is right here or um, something else happens and they have somebody else in that spot and they're like, we're just as well just sticking with what we've got here or going for this other guy. If he does well in the championship promotion race, there are going to be a lot of eyeballs on that. Um, and so you'll have the potential for other teams coming in and it might even be a situation where Swansea, maybe one of the reasons DC isn't agreeing to a sell-on clause yet is that um, maybe the figure right now would be, you know, hypothetically like 2.5 million. And then he plays really well and all of a sudden 2.5 million looks like a bad deal for DC compared to what they could have gotten from someone else. So um, I will say that that's astute from the team to keep that the option open, uh, not not locking themselves in on a price that could go up with his performances. Um, and with all due respect to the championship, uh, if you look at how Ariel has been playing with the national team, uh, I think there is plenty of reason to be optimistic that that price will go up. Um, yeah, I think some of that comes down to what position he plays for right. for Swansea. Um, they they seem to prefer a, a three five two and have not rotated a lot at, at right wing back, which seems his natural position in that system. Although if they're playing with a, a number ten, depending on how that's used, you could play him as like um, a, a pressing number ten there, whose job is to get into the box, not so much to pull strings, um, but to press and and move and be direct, which is what Paul Ariola does wherever he is on the field. Um, we're obviously wishing him all, all the best luck and, and everything at Swansea. I like Paul. I want him to succeed wherever he goes yes. and his, his succeeding there would also have a financial benefit for DC United, which hopefully would lead to more investment in the team and more, uh, more players coming in, which they need, Right now, not not necessarily in May or June or July, but right now they do need some right. some players. Uh, one of those players is going to be Mike DeShields, uh, rookie drafted out of Wake Forest, um, 
product of Pipeline Soccer Club in Baltimore, Santino Caranta's outfit. He is a center back who has now signed with the team. He will be there, which means, hey, that's three center backs who are healthy and on the roster uh, right now. Steven Birnbaum is hurt. Um, Donovan Pines and Fred Briant are both healthy. And that is the entirety of the center back core right now, unless you want to start moving players out of their natural positions. Um, so more players are going to be needed, even with the shields there. Uh, and you, you mentioned our interview last week um, with Lozada, and he talked about how he, wanting to add a player on each line of the team. Um, and this is the kind of thing, this is the kind of thing that's why I think he was, I, I'm, this is my own read on that. I don't think the shields is one player on the defensive line, because I think in his mind, that was already kind of on its way to being done. Um, I think, and he mentioned that he wants, he wants players that are better than what we currently have. Sure. He wants upgrades, not, not just which is good, depth, which is what you rookies. Yeah. Right. Cause right. we are coming off of a season where DC won five games. Um, so upgrades are important. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I, I think that the shields himself, I think, um, I'm interested to see how he plays because, you know, the pre-draft talk was that he was polarizing. Um, and there were some teams that maybe didn't get a good look at him recently because he missed this last season with an injury. Um, but, you know, the Revolution were interested enough that they were like, let's get him on a deal with our USL team before the season even begins, before the calendar even turns over. Um, they wanted him in, get to get him in, in their program. Um, and I think DC has done a pretty good job scouting the college ranks um, so I'm not surprised that they're on the positive side of that polarizing idea. Um, and, you know, the door is open. Uh, Shields is very fast, which seems to suit Losada's style of play, where he's not going to be defending inside the box so much. It's not going to be about winning 30 headers over the course of the game because you're being bombarded. It's going to be about stepping out, stepping high, uh, winning tackles, um, taking risks, uh, this is a risk-taking style of play, and you need guys that can do that. And a lot of times in the modern game, what that means is guys that can run fast um, and who are comfortable doing that. And it's if if you take one thing away from the Mike DeShield highlights from his time at Wake Forest is that he is comfortable stepping out from that center back position, even in a back four, stepping out and making those tackles in zone 14, uh, breaking play up, and then looking forward with the ball. So um the raw elements are there um and you know given given what you get out of the draft now you know this is there's a reason dc traded up um this is a a player that i think that they have expectations for i don't know that he's going to immediately be pushing uh briant and pines for a starting job necessarily uh but i do think he's going to be in the mix and if a few weeks go by and you know that speed factor, him versus Briant, for example, you do have to wonder um, how much DC can accommodate Briant if they want to play such a high tempo uh, as it sounds like they want to. Right, and like like you said, looking at the starting center backs from last year for most of the season, Briant and Burnbaum, uh, speed is not one of their advantages. That's not something I would list on their uh, uh, top three qualities. But if you can eventually get, maybe not this year, but if you can eventually get a back three of maybe Briant, Pines, and DeShields, then you're looking at 
a much faster back line that can cover some ground and allow the wingbacks to get a little more forward. I'd prefer Burnbaum as the the more regular starter to Briant there. But if you're playing a is back that, three... Isn't that what I said? If that's not what I said, that's what you I said, meant. You said Briant. Okay, I meant Burnbaum with, and then in the center center, and then yes. uh, Pines and uh, DeShields flanking. Or Pines yeah. and other center back signed from elsewhere. Yeah. I, come to, to go back um, last year, if you remember, uh, DC looked for quite a while at uh, Debasi uh, to get a left-footed player into that area. Um, it didn't work. He ended up not signing with DC, and then he ended up with Minnesota in a very odd series of events. Um, and then he scored a goal in the playoffs, almost got Minnesota to, to MLS Cup. Um, things got real weird real quick. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I, it wouldn't shock me at all if we found DC circling back on the idea of an experienced left-footed central defender um, because Steve Birnbaum has been playing that left center back role in a back four. But if we go to it, if we're talking about a three, which as we found out last week is definitely not a sure thing. Um, but if that option's on the table, then a left-footed player on that side of the back three is even more important. And it's not that Steve Birnbaum is not completely useless to his left foot. He is just not a natural. And you want that natural option to open up um, distribution as well as everything else. So if, if you ask me to say, what's the profile of the other defender coming in left-footed center back is what I'm thinking. Uh, we'll, we'll see, of course, but that's what I would expect. Maybe, maybe even someone similar to Debasi who can be, left-footed center back slash left back who has the both positions in his uh bag of tricks i don't know if they can find that player but that is what i bet they're looking for well there's uh there there might be a whole lot of players in france and italy right now who suddenly find themselves available to be sold yeah. because both of those leagues have seen their tv deals implode and um money's pretty tight for a lot of clubs over there right now and they might might turn their head and actually consider offers for players that would have been laughed out of the room just a few weeks ago. So uh, I, I certainly hope Dave Casper and company are, are on, you know, looking at players in those leagues because there, there's probably some steals to be had there. You, you might have to pay, you know, it's not going to be get a player on a free, but you might but, be able to spend a few million dollars for a very high end player. Uh, you might also find teams looking to shed salary. And at that point you might be able yeah, to true. get a player on a free. Um, so it's kind of the wild West because these, what you're talking about, these um, league TV deals, uh, you know, with France, I know it was that they had set a minimum benchmark and, and the bids, none of the bids met that benchmark, uh, which is a big yikes. Um, yeah. And they, they specifically bad. said this benchmark is the minimum we need for yes. our clubs to be sustainable. Yeah. Um, it, Italy's was a little different situation because it was international rights involving certain portions of the world, but the French one was like uh, their big domestic one. Yeah. This was like if ESPN and Fox sports were like, we're going to offer you X and MLS was like, literally we need Y to survive. Um, right. And I mean, probably every, all, all the people bidding knew estimated the number, but I feel like the league kind of shot them in the self is in the foot by announcing that that's what they needed. Sure. Um, I mean, it's like, it's like announcing a reserve price on an auction and then everyone says, yeah, we don't believe that's your actual reserve price. And, yeah. and everyone comes in below it. 
this is a moment this is a moment where mls teams that are forward thinking will be able to get stronger um and for dc united this is a moment where they need to get stronger so you hope that they you know put two and two together where it's not just sensing the moment and identifying the targets but actually having the willingness to go spend because like part of the reason Debassi didn't end up here was there was just an un, un, inability to come to terms um, to make that move work. And that's how he ends up in Minnesota instead, because they were by waiting a little longer and then getting, uh, I can't even remember the MLS uh, arcane process by which they ended up having the chance to sign him instead. Um, but basically, you know, Minnesota got him on a free DC was unwilling to, pay a little bit at the time um and now you know minnesota's defense is deeper than dc's so um this is an opportunity that doesn't come around that often that they'll have to try and figure something out maybe it's not from the french league or syria or Serie b maybe it's just something else entirely but um it's certainly an area of the team that they're going to have to address via these other TV deals going wrong, you know, butterfly flaps its wings in France <laughs> and the center back lands in uh, Audi field. I don't know, but they got to do something. And I'm sure they know this. It's just a matter of, you know, knowing it is nice, but you have to actually then take the actions to get the player you need. I'm really hoping I have the opportunity to say league on, on a future episode in the, or near future episode. Uh, one last player to mention um, before we, we, bring Devin on and that is um one Mr. Andy Nahar who is apparently a candidate for a trial with DC United um if you know much about DC United in recent years you know who Andy is he was United's second homegrown player sold for three-ish million dollars to Anderlecht in Brussels in in Belgium uh where he played against Hernan Losada both as a player and after Losada became a coach um he was on Anderlecht's Champions League sides for, for several years, had a couple of bad injuries, um, including one that, that ended his European adventure, came back, uh, trained with LAFC for a while before signing with them, and then did not have a great showing in a few short performances and then um, got hurt <laughs> and, and ended his season in 2020. Um, but it sounds like DC United are considering bringing him in for a preseason trial, see if his legs are there and if he's able to play um, and make it through preseason without getting hurt. And if he is, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get a contract. It would be a very feel good story. It'd be a literal homecoming for him. Um, And we've already seen Bill Hamid tweet out, bring Andy home. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I I think if, if he's healthy enough to play uh, backup minutes for DC United, he can play at a, a couple of positions that this team would need. And you're going to get him at a decent price. And again, it's nobody's money. It's MLS's money. Um, I think you I think you just do it. It's feel good. Uh, DC United shown they're not averse to feel good, taking a flyer on a feel good story uh, before with the Charlie Davies uh, signing, uh, like obviously, if he can't uh, if he can't contribute at all, then that's another story. But if he can give you seven hundred minutes, 
something like that over the course of the season. I think you just do it for uh, getting a decent backup and for the feel-good part of it. Yeah, I mean, you have to think about it in terms of who else is going to be going for that sort of role within the team. And what we're talking about here is more like, um, you know, and Andy Nahar versus uh, Logan Pancho, uh, the second round pick versus a USL free agent that comes in on trial. We always have two or three of them uh, in the preseason. They're right. going to be I, buying... my... Jacob Green will not be on that list in 2021. Um, young homegrown player at right back. Um, my assumption is he will not be competing for well, very many first team minutes not, this year. I'm not but even talking about minutes, though. I'm talking about roster spots themselves. Oh, true. Um, and the risk is so low. You know, this is a role on the team where it's someone who's going to play, you know, who you're expecting to play 500 minutes or less. Um, and so if Nahar signs and that's all he can provide, I know with LAFC it was only one start and 10 appearances, and it, it just the whole thing didn't quite work out. Um if that's the way it goes, you still get, like Ben said, that that feel-good factor of bringing Andy home, um, which I think a lot of fans will enjoy. And quite frankly, this is a fan base that could use some things to enjoy. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I do not see, unless he comes in in preseason and the other player, like I said, the other kind of people who are competing for that lower end of the roster spot, just eat his lunch uh, all day long, then at that point you say, okay, well, I can't look the guys in the eye and offer him a contract because they know that these other players have been better. But uh, if it's not that, if he comes in and looks like someone who could contribute if healthy, then yeah, take the chance on him because we're not talking about a guy who need, this is not a position where you need him to come through or the season's going to be a problem. This is something where it's it's a very, very low entry fee that might pan out because Andy's only 28. Um, we know the caliber of player. We know what the ceiling is um, if he's healthy. So if his quads and hamstrings are healthy, if his knees are healthy, uh, the guy has had no luck at any of this stuff. But if all of that stuff is in is healthy enough that you can bring him along, then maybe maybe you get you know a little bit of a scratch off win. Um, maybe you get to you know take that one to the bank rather than say like, well, it was nice while it lasted. Thanks for your time. Um, but yeah, I, I I can't see the the down the downside here is so minimal as to not exist because you're last year we we spent a lot of time talking about how the team didn't have enough players. The team doesn't really have that many players right now. There are there are roster spots open. And he's not taking one from a presumptive new striker or presumptive midfield addition. He's not taking those spots. It's not like we're like, well, there's only three spots left. We have to keep them open for these other guys. This is a spot that is going to be, you know, filled by someone that doesn't play very much in all likelihood uh, or filled by someone that is going to make everyone happy in the fan base and who could actually end up being a very big deal if we get lucky. So it's low risk, high reward. I don't, I don't see the problem. I hope he's happy to be back. Maybe that's part of, maybe that, maybe that helps. I don't know. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. Um, I would love to see Andy back. You, you guys know I've been advocating in our, our Slack channel for, for Andy to come home for literally years. It's like, bring Andy home. He needs to come home. And 
now it might it might happen. We'll see if if his body is up to it and if he if he can do the job. And if so, then absolutely bring him back. Uh, that does it for this segment. We'll be right back to talk with Devin McTavish. Stick around. It's filibuster. All right. Say you're at work and uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to uh, to assert your rights in that situation, whether a boss mistreated you, you were fired unfairly uh, or, or, or something worse happens. Ben, in the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia, you know who to call, right? Yeah, you call the Ehrlich Law Office because you have rights. That's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment and you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, If you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have uh, a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper and you're dealing with a a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the ehrlich law office uh if you want a free consultation tell them we sent you go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster welcome back to filibuster the black and red united podcast as you no doubt know by now DC United has a new head coach in Hernan Losada for the actually happening 2021 season. Uh, got me wondering what going through coaching changes is actually like in the locker room, which is a perspective I've never been able to have. Uh, that gives us just the excuse we need to to invite our, our friend and DC United color commentator Devin McTavis back onto the show. Devin, welcome back to Filibuster. Well, I got to say, thanks for having me, guys. Happy. Is it is it too late to say Happy New Year? We're in February, so maybe too late, but Happy New Year regardless. And uh, always a pleasure to be on and always love listening to you. So thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. It's the first time we've spoken in the new year. So I think Happy New Year is, is appropriate. Yeah, yeah that, works. that works. I, I, I certainly won't won't look a well wish in the mouth. So I, <laughs> that, that phrase doesn't work at all. I'm just going to move past it. Devin, what are you drinking tonight? Um, I got, uh, so it, it's a little dirty tap water to be frank. So it's, it's, you know, it's got maybe a finger of a bourbon in there. And to be honest with you, I can't remember what it is. Wild Turkey, wild Turkey. So a little bit okay. of water, a little bit of wild Turkey. So as I like to call it, dirty tap water. I accept. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, can, do it. Can, so, can I get filled in on what you guys are drinking? Are we, are we, are we going to say uh, that sure. later I, off, I, offline uh, or? Uh, well, we went through it in the first time, but I, I'm still drinking uh, Madam. It's a, a bourbon rye mix from Republic Restoratives uh, here in the district. That's just classy, dude. That's real classy. <laughs> I, I think I have the reputation as the fancy drinker of the, of the, the group. One? So, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah is the right word. <laughs> yeah, I picked up on that. <laughs> well, I'm actually drinking a Michelob Ultra, but I wanted to be classy like you, so I said it was dirty tough now. <laughs> well, that's high praise, you know. I'll I'll take it. Uh Devin, the the as I said at the top, our inspiration for for inviting you on is getting that player's perspective 
on a coaching change. So you went through a few coaching changes during your DC United playing days. What's the the first thought that goes through your mind as a player when you hear about a, a new man in charge? Well, yeah, it's, uh, um, you know, a lot of things, obviously, like it's going off of last year. I remember in, um, you know, and when I was playing good, me, it was a long time ago, but when I was playing, so we look back on like the 2008 season and, um, a bit of a struggle. I mean, Tommy Stone, you know, he'd been with the club for a while and, and we had some success with him. And then, you know, the club decided to move away. And it was after a 2008 season that I'm sorry, no, it was a 2009. Right. So yeah. um, it just kind of felt like, I don't want to say he had lost the locker room. Cause I think that's, that's a little dramatic. It just felt like there needed to be a fresh voice. And with that, you know, there's, a lot of excitement with trying to figure out who this fresh voice is going to be. And there's a lot of speculation in the off season. And obviously every, all the players are following the rumors as closely as you guys are as closely as ever, all the DC United fans are. And so um, when it comes to light, who the new coach is going to be, it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if it's your high school coach that, uh, you know, you played with in Virginia or Pennsylvania or whatever it may be, or if it's a world-class coach coming in from a different league, I can guarantee that every player has an excitement coming into the locker room on the first day of training. The reason for that is because they're trying to forget, at least in my um, experience, you're trying to forget what the past year was like. You only have so many years in terms of you're able to play this game and you don't want to waste a valuable time with losses, with frustration mounting. And so this new fresh voice, even though you've maybe not even met them or even heard of them in some cases is going to really raise the energy level. So with that comes obviously a little bit more training in the off season. You're not guaranteed a job anymore. Players are fighting for their role, trying to impress the coach, whether it's just on a conference call, whether it's on a phone call, whether it's the first day shaking their hand in person. So, um, you know, I, I can't say what uh, these players are going through at the moment in the DC Science locker room. The only thing I can say is that I have to imagine there's a lot of excitement about it. And it's not to take away from what Ben Olsen had done there. Obviously, I don't think there's any ill will towards them in terms of players in the locker room towards Ben. Um, it's just a new opportunity for these players. They struggled last year. I think everyone was frustrated that the club decided to make a move. And with that comes, uh, you know, a fresh new take on, on life, if you will. And um, oh, with that, again, a lot of energy, a lot of excitement. De- Devin, uh, one thing that occurs to me in that, in that, you know, that early, those early days where um, everyone's trying to make an impression, there's that balance that players have to strike. And it, it comes up in MLS, whether it's, you know, rookies trying to impress at the combine, or now, you know, we're talking about a new coach. It's the same kind of dynamic where on one hand, you want to be who you are as a player. Um, and maybe you, you know, you're ne- not necessarily going to be the kind of player who is flying all over the place uh over overextending yourself to make tackles and this and that or you know shooting from 30 yards out if you're a striker or whatever but sometimes you know you kind of get that urge to make it a first good first impression and see how far that goes um how difficult is is that to strike the balance between wanting to really stretch yourself as a player versus like trying to stay you know feet on the ground stick to the things that you're good at yeah, I think it depends on a lot. Um, you know, you lean on experience one. So you look at like, you know, some, some of the more experienced players with Canals and Briant, and then you look at the young players who are coming in trying to prove their value to the new coach. And so I, I will say that 
no matter if it's a new coach or if it's the first day of training, it's going to be crazy. Like players are going to be flying because they've been chomping at the bit to get out there and playing again. They've just been doing individual workouts. So, I mean, if you take a typical first day, first three or four days of training, and it's a it's at a level 12 out of 10, then you throw a new coach in there and, and you're flying at about a 15 out of 10. So um, it does calm down over, you know, the course of a week as obviously you get tired, you're not 90 minutes fit, you're not 30 minutes fit. Um, but there's a lot more communication going on. I think, you know, you know, to your point, like players are getting kind of stuck in on tackles a little bit more. Um, the quality of, of soccer obviously is not there uh, for the first, hopefully, <laughs> only a couple of weeks because it's just there's so much energy and tenacity in trying to, you know, um, make an impression on the, on the new coach. So um, it can be a little ugly at times. But a lot of the, a lot of the change comes from, um, you know, it, training sessions will change slightly, obviously. Every coach is going to have different tactics, different training regimens. Um, a lot of it is off the field. It's, it's conversations with the coach. It's conversations with the assistant coach. Um, they obviously have done their due diligence and know you as a player. They, um, you know, know your, your strengths and your qualities. They want to kind of get to know you as a person as well in terms of your mentality or character. And so um, I always found that an interesting kind of new perspective when coaches came in is um, – you don't necessarily like you're familiar with me, but you don't necessarily know me. And so um, as the quality of soccer continues to like improve as tactics start to get implemented, it's always interesting to see how coaches respond to each individual persona and character in the locker room as well. Yeah, Devin, those were actually two, two questions I wanted to get in a little more. When you have a new coach coming in and starting the preseason, how does that change uh, training sessions, training drills, things like that? And how does it change uh, how the team operates off the field? Does it change video sessions? Does it change uh, daily routines? How, how, do, how does that part of a new coach coming in look? Yeah, it's a good question. And every, you know, um, I'm not, uh, every coach is a little bit different, right? And so some, some players come, or some coaches come in and, um it's tactics right away. Some players or some coaches come in and you're, you know, they're watching you play for a week, just kind of like throwing a ball out there. And then they start to talk tactics as they kind of get an understanding of, uh, and talking with players and, and watching training sessions occur, they start to implement their tactics. And then they, maybe some coaches start to implement like mentality too, like character things in terms of, you know, I understand that your strengths are this and I really want your strengths to be this. How do we get there? Can we work on your mentality a little bit? And so, um, you know, it's always kind of interesting when a new coach does come in, there's a lot of, again, excitement, as I've said before, but a lot of like laughter. Um, you have a new boss. They're trying to make friends with you and be cordial. You're trying to get under their good graces. And it's a lot of, you know, on the level, on the surface level, um, you know, like everything is, is going smoothly, right? And then the first scrimmage hits and all of a sudden it's like, okay, did we do what we are trying to accomplish? How much more work do we need to be done? When the season starts, that's where you really start to understand what, how important it is for this coach to obviously be successful, how it is, how important it is for you to be successful. And so then 
all the conversations that you've had with the coach, all of the little training sessions that you didn't think were a big deal are now becoming a big deal, and you're either starting to buy in or you're not starting to buy in. Um, results matter for everyone, obviously. It's a, so um, there's a lot of changes that can occur, right? I mean, no one's going to do the same training session, right, from one coach to another. No one's going to tell you to eat you know, specific things, maybe from one coach to another. Some coach may care about that, other coaches won't. But I always found it interesting after about, you know, after preseason, after a couple um, preseason matches, whether results went your way, after the first three to five games of things, how they're kind of playing out. It's always interesting to see, um, you know, like the, the true character of, of, the, uh, of the coach and the players really start to uh, come out and, you can really see if players are starting to buy in or not. And that's not always, sorry, as I continue to talk, that's not always a result. Like the results may not always be there in the first five, 10 games, but trying to get across the message from a head coach, trying to get across the message of what they're trying to do. And if, you know, as a fan, as, as an analyst, as um, anyone really watching a game, are, you can try to really see it. Are they, are the wheels spinning with the players? Are they buying in? Are they trying to do what the coach is saying? And um, even if the results aren't going the way, though, it's always it's always interesting to see, like, the first – I always, like, say first three months of a coach. The first 100 days, right? Just to use a, a different <laughs> – you know, I was actually, actually going to say that, the first 100 days, right? Like, I mean, we're, we're in that right now. So, yeah, the first 100 days. Uh, you, you mentioned buying, and that's going to be a huge part of, uh, I think, what, what determines – this team's fate under Hernan Losada, especially early on, um, just because it is such a different style than what we we've, we've experienced in recent years under Ben Olsen. And because it is such a kind of a knife's edge philosophy that you need total buy-in from the players to, to, to make it work. What does that look like in the locker room? How do you know when the locker room is is buying in, and and what does that process actually look and feel like? Yeah, I think it starts from you know the leadership in the locker room um, that you've got to win them over first. And I think kind of a perk with coming into DC United's locker room is that I think Sato probably in the first already has won over eighty. 95% of the locker room because the locker room is pretty young, right? I mean, like this isn't a team who's coming off a uh, supporter shield, um, you know, MLS cup final, and he's going to come in and completely revamp how the team plays. Like this is a team that's all ears. Um, you know, they struggled last year and I can imagine that the, you know, the leadership from the top in terms of Briant, in terms of Hamid, in terms of, um, you know, Birnbaum, I know he's injured right now, but no doubt he's a voice in the locker room, are going to be really urging everyone to buy in because I, I have to imagine that, um, you know, and just in what we know about Lozado, that he's going to bring excitement, he's going to bring a mentality, he's going to bring a work ethic that can be successful. He has shown that. And so there's no reason for these players to believe that if they don't buy that if they buy in, that they can be successful as well. So, um, it, it starts with, it starts with training, I guess, to get back to your question, you know, it's a little things. Are you, are you doing the, are you taking a little warm up training session that you've maybe never done before and you don't think is a big deal, but probably has implementation implications on terms of, you know, tactics. 
are you buying into that? Are you giving it 110%? Are you giving it 75%? Um, are you calling players out for not doing the job that maybe wasn't necessarily their role last year, but is their role this year? So it's these, you know, little things that add up to, um, you know, uh, overall team success. And a lot of it comes from the top in terms of holding everyone from captains, uh, holding all the younger players and, and players with you know, less tenure accountable. So coming back to the present from your, your playing days and putting your, your analyst color commentator hat on, what are your thoughts on Hernan Losada and his hire? I mean, you know, it, it, I haven't watched a whole lot of video of uh, <laughs> to be frank with you. I mean, it's, I've seen highlights, obviously. Um, I've heard people call it a risky hire. I, I understand that. I think the ownership has done a, uh, their due diligence. Um, I think they had a hire in mind that was going to be um, – to fit the mold of what they want DC United to be, right? And someone who has good creative playing experience, which is Lozada, someone who has a mindset of entertainment when it comes to the game, um, and someone who is, you know, young, energetic, and is people, you know, players are going to relate to. So, you know, from a higher standpoint, I totally get it. Frankly, I'm kind of I'm excited about it. I mean, it's kind of a no holds barred. We're just going to throw everything at you, deal with it. You may score four, we may score five, we may score three. It's going to be entertaining. Um, I imagine there are going to be some growing pains at the beginning. One, as players learn the system. Two, as, you know, I, I look at the roster and I see a lot of players who are fit for a system like this. I see some players that may not be, that may need to, um, I don't want to say beat replaced, but may need to just get, for lack of a better term, bought into it and kind of, adapt their game a little bit so um it'll be interesting it'll be interesting I, and i also think too it's going to kind of help with recruiting players right i mean he's argentine I, there's a pipeline down there in, in argentina for players coming to mls um there's no reason that having you know a coach at at dc united and mls with the pedigree that he has the quality he has the player the you know even albeit a short coaching head coaching stint has had success that players in Argentina would be like, heck yeah, sign me up. I'm going to go live in DC and play for this guy. So, um, I, you know, frankly, I, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to kind of take the leash off of some players and say, have at it, do what you can with the ball at your feet, be creative. Um, we're going to press you and we're going to press you again and we're not going to get tired. So I will feel for the players though. I feel like yeah. there's going to be a lot of fitness sessions. There's gonna be a lot of it, <laughs> like like taking it back to like Peter Novak area. Like it's August fifteenth and it's hundred and eight degrees and eighty nine percent humidity at eight thirty in the morning. We're doing fitness. Um, yeah, so I do feel for them in that regard. But I I think Losada will give them water. <laughs> <laughs> Say what? I think Losada will give them water at least. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't drink that dirty water, does he? Just clear water. <laughs> Yeah, he when he was on with us, he had water. So, yeah, our, our only direct experience is uh, uh, big fan Pro of hydration. hydration. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, full hydration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter, Peter lets have water every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> Depends yeah. how many points we are up in the uh, right. field. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when you got a cushion, you you get water. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Devin, I, I, I kind of asked this of Ernan when we talked to him last week. Um, this This concept that I keep finding myself thinking about is just that when we watch MLS for the most part, you know, a lot of the games, a lot of the teams are maybe stylistically different, but they have that mentality of, you know, we're going to win this game one nothing or 2-1. Um, and San Jose caused such a stir last year because there were games where they would win 4-3 and then the next week they might lose 5-0. Um, but they never, it never shook them up. They never said, okay, obviously this isn't working. We have to change everything. It was just, no, 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 we just have to do a better job of the thing we're trying to do. Um, and it seems like Lozada has that as his mindset where the commitment to taking these risks is there and it's not going to go away if you happen to take a risk and something goes wrong and you concede five minutes into the opener. Um, we're not going to see the team all of a sudden drop off and and try and get to halftime and straighten things out. They're going to keep at it. It's it's you know, obviously I'm uh, forecasting for the future here, but it sounds like that's what we're about to get into. Um, mm-hmm. As a, as a, you know, thinking back to when you were playing, uh, how exciting would that be versus the, you know, the, the combination of like, it's very different from what we're used to in this league, but it's also potentially a lot of fun. Like everyone's trying to play soccer and score goals. That seems like the fun part. Yeah. It, I mean, um, you know, I think you mentioned too that it's it's finding a balance too in terms of always wanting like even if they're comfortable, you know, being up one nothing is comfortable, but we want to go ahead and get that two nothing balance. But it's about all right. I'm sorry, get the uh, second goal, but it's about the balance defensively as well. And so that's what I think you know San Jose lacks at times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which it is. I mean, I love watching San Jose. I don't think anyone in the league dislikes them. Maybe some San Jose fans when they're losing five nothing, but. Um, <laughs> it is entertaining. And so I am curious to see how he goes about that. If they're up to nothing um, and it's the 88th minute and are they continuing to, uh, you know, press forward and throw numbers forward from all accounts, that's what he wants to do right now. Again, from being bought in from a player's protect perspective, are is that going to happen on the field? I mean, when you take in a Briant, when you take in a burn bomb, um, when you take in a Hamid, and they're up to nothing with, you know, in the 75th minute at home are, or on the road better, then are they going to feel comfortable with allowing their wing back to get up to the, uh, you know, the, the other team's 18. So um, all accounts would say that he's going to get everyone to get bought in. Right. And so from a entertainment perspective, I love to see it putting myself in a center back shoes, which is often where I played for DC. I have a little anxiety about that. <laughs> That's, you know, it's um, I'm old school, I guess. Right. But I also never wanted to be up one, nothing to one in the 75th plus minute having to run backwards towards my own net because we're too stretched out. So that's a, uh, I'm coming from a player's perspective. I can, again, looking at the rosters, there's probably only like a handful of players who are like that or kind of can have that concern. Everyone else is <laughs> either young and like, you know, love the attacking mindset of let's go forward and let's get that third instead of just holding back at 2-1. So um, 
again, it's just all about how everyone gets bought in. You know, if they get if they get snake bit a couple times and they're up two one in the 80th and they go for that third and they hit the crossbar and then the ball comes down and um, they let in a late equalizer, then they might start to lose faith a little bit. Um, hopefully not. Hopefully Lasada continues to preach what he does well and preaching that attacking soccer. So um, results do matter. So I don't know if I answered your question, but <laughs> it, it's, it's a big one. Um, it's, a, it's a big, broad question. It, so there's there's a lot of well, ways to attack it. Yeah, there is. So you know, I guess it, in summary, from a defender standpoint, um, I never like running too much. So <laughs> you're up to one late. Let's let's sit back if it's 75th, 80th minute, not bunker in the 18, but maybe let's not throw six guys forward into the box. Having said that, now in an analyst position, now as a fan, just love watching attacking soccer. Go for it. Go get that third goal. Close it up. Then, you know, so, um, again, it's all about, like, can he sell his tactics? Can he sell um, – you know, his mindset to, to every player who puts a jersey on. Um, it's not easy to do. It's not easy, especially with some of the, um, you know, I know there's a lot of young players on D.C., but some of the uh, older players, not to say that they're stubborn or anything like that. It's just, you know, they, this is how they've been trained. This is how they've been coached. And so um, it'll be interesting to see if he can change their mindset. So last year, Devin, we talked a lot on this podcast about how, we didn't think that DC United had signed enough players, especially at the beginning of the year. And then as injuries piled up, it was clear that they had some issues there. Um, what do you want to see DC United do for, with this team this year? Where do you think they need any uh, additions as we uh, head towards a, uh, a February or March uh, uh, training camp start? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, um, Nico Ladero type player, you know, just to start, like just get a <laughs> hardworking number 10 right now. I mean, um, you know, I think it, it's going to be interesting to see with the uh, change of style, um, you know, how Osada sets the team up defensively, you know, whether with the three back, the five back. And so, He's come out publicly. I, I think it was with you all, right? And he said, I, I, I'm looking for someone in each line. So forward, midfielder, a center back position. Um, I still think, I mean, if we're uh, talking amongst friends here, then, you know, always, I, <laughs> always talking amongst friends. Yeah, I, I, we, I think a number 10, like, um, like, like a Nico Adair, right? Who's going to be bought in, who's going to be willing to press. Um, you know, who's going to do the creative work in the offensive third. I love Edison Flores. I don't think he's obviously hit his groove yet. I just knowing, just seeing what he had done down in Mexico and obviously dealt with a lot here, injuries, stopping to play, everything like that. I see him, he wears a number 10. I just kind of see him more as like a winger, right? Like in a, in a high three. Um, get him out into a lot of space. He can take players on, serve early balls. So I think that'd be a, uh, a unique signing for DC to come in after they spent so much money on Flores to come in again, like mid summer or whatever, and, and implement uh, another playmaker in that like central playmaking role um, that can also has the engine do the high press and do a little bit of the work defensively. And then the quality in the final third. 
Um, and then you're, you know, you're dealing with some injuries too through the midfield too with, you know, Felipe is going to be out. I shouldn't say it's midfield, just through the spine. You know, I don't know how Birnbaum is going to, hopefully, you know, he can recover and get back up to speed, but I think another center back too. Um, Shields shows a lot of promise. I think he's young. That doesn't mean that he can't start day one, but I think, uh, um, you know, center back that can cover a lot of ground is probably that can distribute the ball as well. Um, would probably be a good signing in 2021. The reason for that is because when you're, you know, a team that likes to, to get forward, you're going to be left exposed defensively and you need someone um, who can cover a lot of ground and you need more than someone who can cover a lot of ground. So if I were to go two spots, do I get a third wish? Yeah, why not? You know, we're among friends, so yeah. <laughs> among friends, yeah. Um, a new color analyst for the team i mean like the guy the guy who works with dave johnson like i don't know what he did now so too much running Um, for you devin yeah there's stairs that go up there and like i just can't do it with my knee anymore so it's no joke the the stairs up up from up to the press box are not a small time thing uh (laughs) you get a workout getting up there you do you do i know i know i feel good about myself when i get there um, take the day to recover, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can I? Do we have a? Do we have a wish list from you all? Talking amongst friends. Yeah, I think so. I I'm not sure whether Flores can play the ten or not. I'm not sure if um, if Losada wants a number ten. I've seen some some at least reads on his his system kind of showed more attacking through the the outside or or from deeper midfield um Holtzhauser who's the the all action guy at at Bearscoat seemed to he he got into attacking positions and and scored and assisted with crazy numbers this year I don't know if he's a number 10 or a number 8 it seems like he he might be almost yeah. a uh like a prime Frank Lampard Lampard style number 8 who can play deeper and just makes those late runs and gets on the ball uh, in really opportune positions. So if we could get that kind of all action number eight, like a, almost a deeper line, Nico Lodero um, as opposed to a number 10 Nico Lodero, but that, that would be my, my number one thing is getting that. And then obviously a center back because <laughs> we yeah. just need bodies back there. Yeah. Yep. I I mean yeah, if it's I Nico, up, yeah. no go ahead Devin no 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 go ahead I was just gonna say I, I my 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 thought tends to go towards um you know we're in a weird situation where DC maybe is short central midfielders for the time being because like you said Felipe is out for you know several months and until he's back there is kind of uh, an issue there and you you know Ariola's over with Swansea. So you've got one, one of the players who could fill in there is off the table. Um, so I, I do wonder maybe it, you know, getting, getting super specific, like a player that could be, play both like as a six or an eight, but then also could play out on the left side, especially if, if it, we're talking back three. Um, so maybe kind of a do it all midfielder um, just to add that extra depth as well as, you know, I mean, since we're doing wish list, this would be someone who's like top of the uh, the roster, of course. So, um, you know, uh, 
it's wish list. I'll I'll go ahead and throw in someone in the Young Money. Um, yes, uh, you know somewhere in there where we're talking about uh, you know a, a top midfielder coming out of uh, Comedy Bowl or wherever who's you know nineteen twenty primed for huge things. Um, but I don't know if that player exists because that's a lot of uh, a lot of things to check off. We were talking about magic in the first segment. Let's just yeah, why not? We'll just lean into it. <laughs> Devin, I think that's that's all our questions for you. Do you have anything else you wanna you wanna talk about while you have while you're amongst friends? No, I mean, I always I always love it when people say no and then they talk for like ten minutes. So um, <laughs> that's the show. Yes. Yeah. No, you know, I don't have anything to add. But since you asked, no. So um, I, I, you know, I was I, I actually was a little nervy about the uh, latest negotiations. So I'm just excited to the season get going and you know it's kind of funny that my wife and I were talking and I was like man it's already February and like this time last year we're like preparing for DC United to start in what like 20 days and um you know I mean it's just the what, what's happened over the past you know 12 months has been um obviously hopefully we never get to see it again so yeah I'm excited I'm excited about about this season I mean um you know hopefully one day we can in in the district get some people in in audi field again um it's very strange it's very strange being at the you and i are some of the only people who got to go to the stadium yeah and it's bizarre um it never stopped being how much did did you have to pay him to show up (laughs) (laughs) no they they it turns out i i was just uh I, i i carved out a little living space uh up near the press box so they didn't know i was there Okay, cool. Yeah, well, yeah. you put on raccoon ears, and everyone just looks past you, right? Everyone, yeah. No, I had to write a couple checks, but I, I canceled them last minute. So, um, <laughs> yeah. No, it is weird. I mean, um, it, it's sad comes to mind. I mean, I think you know, Dave and I talk about it a lot, and it's just like, gosh, I wish people were here, even if it's you know. I mean, obviously, you want everyone to be safe, and so. Um, but it's just uh, it's just a shame, and so well, as everyone keeps on the right track, doing the right thing, then um, you know hopefully it'll be sooner than later that we'll be able to have at least some people in the stands, and then gradually get back to normal, yes. as they say. Absolutely, the new normal, whatever that may be. The new until normal, then, yeah, exactly. Until then, everyone wear a mask, wash your hands, get the shot when you're eligible, um, and that'll hopefully get us back into uh being able to see people in person again which i am very much looking forward to devin thank you so much for for coming on the show again it's always lovely to have you uh just in case any of our listeners don't follow you on online where where can they find you yeah so i i um am at devo mctee on twitter and uh the instagram um I'm not social media savvy, so feel free to reach out and I will get back. But yes, thank you. And then, of course, with the uh, broadcast with Dave Johnson on, I want to say WJLA, I think we're still trying to work on confirming that. So between friends. Um, but yeah, so all the all the broadcasts at DCI show locally, local station. I'm with the legend Dave Johnson. I let him talk and <laughs> do his thing, and I try to. You're his hype man, right? 
Uh, yeah, I run the camera, and then um, yeah, and then I just like slide a little comment in every now and then. <laughs> Most important, no doubt. Find us, of course, Gentlemen. at blackandredunited.com. Support us financially at patreon.com slash filibuster. You can find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu, at blackandredu. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, download, subscribe, rate, review, wherever you get your podcasts. Mostly, though, tell a friend about the show. Tell them about our, our conversation with Devin McTavish uh, next time you're talking about DC United, which hopefully will be very soon. Uh, until next time, uh, thanking Devin McTavish one more time. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye. Bye, Jason. Val Kilmer's character in the movie Willow was Mad Mardigan, which I've always found fun to say.